Welcome to Trek Companion, episode 29. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing uh, DS9's fifth season episodes, The Assignment, Trials and Tribulations, Let He Who Is Without Sin, and Things Past. Let's do it. The Assignment, Season 5, Episode 5, Production Number 504. Original air date, October 28, 1996. Teleplay by David Weddle and Bradley Thompson. Story by David R. Long and Robert Letterman. Directed by Alan Croker. Music composed by Gregory Smith. Guest cast include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Max Gradanchik as Rom, Hannah Hate as Molly O'Brien, Patrick B. Egan as Jubar, Rosie Melek Yonan as Takoa, Judy Durand as Station Computer Voice, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. Meeting Keiko upon her return from Bajor, O'Brien is shocked when his wife says, in her own voice, that she is really an entity that has taken possession of Keiko's body and is holding her hostage. She states O'Brien must reconfigure some communication and sensor relays on the station or Keiko will be killed. Unable to warn anyone, O'Brien must do Keiko's bidding before her deadline or else. But who is she and what is her plan? What? The new frequency of the deflector grid is set to turn the station into a massive chroniton array aimed directly at the wormhole. So, I just wanted to know, why are we trying to kill the wormhole aliens? Well, um, we get some for some important firsts. I should say some things that are going to be important later, like the introduction of, of the paw wraiths. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be pretty important, certainly by the end of the series. Um... But overall, I'm not. I don't have the kindest things to say about this episode. <laughs> it it doesn't work when it's supposed to. Um, okay, am I the only person that laughs whenever Keiko jumps off the balcony? And- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's funny. It's not it supposed is, to be funny, right? Uh, it is kind of awkward or something. She looks yeah. like a like a, a dummy, like if somebody dropped a dummy out of the window, <laughs> no. you know? That would have been better if they just dropped a, <laughs> a rag doll off the top. <laughs> and then even at the end, whenever she gets like zapped by the, you know, whatever it is, the electricity looking stuff that's coming out of the wormhole, she's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it looks just, it looks kind of silly. It, looks, it makes me laugh. I don't know. Yeah. Else? I, what do you guys think? Um, I, I kind of, I thought, Keiko, um, oh, what is uh, what is the actress's name? Keiko. Um, well, anyway, Keiko's. Yeah. I thought she was actually pretty funny as the entity. She was a very evil entity, but quite pleasant at the same time. You know. <laughs> yeah, she the was, one time I thought she was that she was effective was when she was. Uh, no, you're not going to sleep out here. Just come to bed. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it, it. It was such a an an evil kind of thing to be so. I don't know, mundane. And can you imagine just going in and trying to lay down next to her? Right. It's just that would be that was really creepy, you know. But but too many of the times, um, yeah, I'm not um, sure who to blame for that either. I mean, I think the notion's interesting. It just yeah, for some reason the didn't totally come off. I guess. Well, I mean, I guess they were trying to go for like you know the 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 wraith is kind of sadistic like that. That's that was her. The mm-hmm. entity's way of kind of torturing O'Brien in a in a sick way. I found it, you know, I, I kind of agree with you, Brian. The, the episode so so, but uh, <laughs> those were the times I kind of found amusing. O'Brien watching O'Brien be tortured is some, for some reason fun in DS Nine. So, so this was kind of him being tortured in a mental. Yeah, is this the only uh, torture O'Brien episode this season? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Maybe. <laughs> it's funny that. Um, Rom like figures out what's going on before O'Brien does. <laughs> that's, that's another kind of pivotal thing in the series here is this is you know, this is kind of another step up for look how smart Rom is or whatever. Yeah, and he says, Why are we trying to kill the wormhole aliens? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I don't know what scene I was referring to in my notes here. I wrote down <laughs> I wrote I wrote down Folks, look, I've, I, we're a couple days late on this podcast. I've been moving for the last week and really, really, really busy. Uh, I'm a little out of it. So yeah, I'm sorry for that. But I did apparently write down here, better wake the captain. We have a saboteur that specializes in techno babble. <laughs> 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 
I don't know. Um, uh, so help me out here, guys. There's got to be more to talk about on this one. Well, I don't know that there is. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, there's yeah, maybe there's something, but yeah, there's not just there's just not a lot of meat to this, and I I think I think they had a good idea. I just think yeah, you know what it is. It's everything that's we're going to get from this episode. They basically give us in the first what five minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much set until maybe the last five minutes. So you got a middle half hour or 35 minutes there. Where I'm pretending just O'Brien running around changing systems. Yeah, and, and, and we know what's going on. We know what's going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I would have liked to see more character involvement. I didn't really buy the whole thing that he couldn't tell anybody. It was just kind of a little over the top. You know, the one time that he is actually going to go, you know, tell somebody she's on to him and you know like we just mentioned it before she throws herself off the balcony i don't know right. maybe a little right. maybe a little bit more involvement maybe him telling i don't know cisco or something might have made it a little bit more interesting but it is what it is i think they just kind of the on this up the assignment and things passed they kind of just go to me it's kind of they just go to the well a little too often in these two episodes um, you know, we've seen this episode before with O'Brien where he's got to, like, um, not tell anybody anything and run around and, the and station. Around and the station. Doing, in fact, we've seen this more than once, it feels like. Yeah, so yeah. I think they could – I like the idea, but I think they could have found a more original approach to it. I think when she jumped off the balcony, if she had, like, bounced a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, like, one of those where she's got some kind of – weird satanic trick where she like jumps off and then they run it in reverse and she pops back up there again. It's like, Ooh, creepy, you know, weird. <laughs> and then her head spins a couple times or something. Maybe she's done some sort of flip or twist on her way down. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be harsh. It's not like I'm an actor and I don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe part of this is, you know, Rosalind Chow plays Keiko. I, I don't know. I mean, it was fine, but there was, you know, I, maybe you kind of expect to see something different in the body language when it's, when your character is a different character, essentially, you know, I mean, I think to some extent it was almost just like, I'm saying the words that I'm possessed by something, but you just kind of don't really feel it or something. You know yeah, what I mean? In every way, she's exactly the same as Keiko yeah. would always be, except the actual words she's saying are different. Yeah. Uh, and, and I have to admit, that's one of the, the few things I wrote down in my notes here was that I wasn't, I wasn't enthralled by her performance here. You know, in fact, I, I've, I, at best, I've, I'm always fine with her. I don't know that I ever really, really, really love her. She's, she's fine. But, um, it sure seems like anytime they try and do something with her, I don't know. But then I feel like I'm the only one that's not really into it. It seems like, you know, the average Star Trek fan seems like they dig her. So, well, she plays her part well. She's solid. I mean, I would but, agree with yeah, you. But, she's, but she's, when they, she's nothing outstanding. And they try and have her stretch like this, this, this mm-hmm. role. She's, she's, not, yeah, she's, not, well, yeah. she's not doing anything. Now, maybe some of that's the director, but. Yeah, because this is this is a nuance. This is this is different. There's that's not the easiest thing to portray. Okay, I, my character is here, but buried underneath a yeah. another character. I mean, that's now, that's not. You think easy. about like especially the earlier next gen stuff. Maybe when one of our principals would get possessed. I mean, they would be just totally. Maybe they they were they were, <laughs> you know, really playing it up. Maybe that mm-hmm. was a little bit too much. But here, there's this just too too far the other direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think maybe the the end they could have fixed that with the end scene. She didn't really in the end her ex went, oh yeah I was there but I couldn't do it. You know she didn't really seem all that phased about being possessed for a also, few days. Yeah, totally true. It's just you know, uh, another day on DS Nine. Got possessed. <laughs> jumped off the balcony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't bounce. All right. Uh, so you guys got anything for what this is about? I got zip on that one. <laughs> I tell you. Well, I mean, we could sit here and make up something, but that's it's about it's idea. about covering what your tracks that? better. Uh huh. You know? <laughs> Brian didn't cover his tracks very well. He didn't. It's about uh, Rom smarter than the chief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's about a good breakfast. All right, S- Steve, make one up. And then okay. We'll um, it's a, <clears throat> a study of how the uh, how we all have our demons and they come <laughs> out. I, yeah, perfect. Okay, and I'm with you, Steve. <laughs> all right, cool. Okay, move on. 
six degrees for the assignment. Uh, in keeping with everything else today, honestly, there was nobody in this episode that I could ask questions about that I haven't already asked multiple times. So uh, there are a couple of questions today that are a little bit more generic trivia, but we still get a little bit of six degrees. Okay, uh, Steve. Okay. In the season six episode, The Reckoning, uh, Jake Siskel will be possessed by a paw wraith, but his uh, physical form will change slightly in a way that Keiko's does not in this episode. To what am I referring? Okay, let me, let me think. I know what you're talking about. It's been a while since I've seen it. I be- the eyes are colored? Glow. Yeah, do you remember what color? I'll give it to you, but do you remember what color? Um, He's evil. Maybe He's red? That's Demon right. Demon red. red yeah, yeah. Demon red eyes. All right, there's uh-huh. Steve. Uh, Adam. Go for uh, it. Nana Visitor was supposed to appear in, in this episode. Why doesn't she? Nana does not appear in this episode. What was she doing? Could she have been in labor? Yeah, she started early labor. That's right. Okay, moving on. Trials and Tribulations, Season 5, Episode 6, Production Number 503, Original Air Date, November 4th, 1996, Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore and Renee Echeverria, Story by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler and Robert Hewitt Wolf, Directed by Jonathan West, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Jack Blessing as Dolmer, James W. Jansen as Luxley, Charlie Brill as Arne Darvin, Leslie Ackerman as Waitress, Charles S. Coombe as Engineer, and Deirdre L. Eimershine as Lieutenant Watley. The Defiant is returning from Cardassian space with the Bajoran Orb of Time. Along for the ride is a Federation merchant named Arvin Darvin, who was trapped by the Klingon invasion. Before we know it, the Defiant flashes more than 100 years into the past, near the original USS Enterprise as it orbits Deep Space Station K-7. Upon investigation records... Arwen Darvin is a Klingon spy who was surgically altered to look human. He used the orb to return to this moment in time. Darvin, in his time, was caught having poisoned a shipment of grain on the, statement, on the station and is out to change history by killing Captain James T. Kirk, who originally exposed him as the spy. I had no idea. What? He's so much more handsome in person. Those eyes. Kirk had quite the reputation as a ladies' man. Not him. Spock. Isn't this awesome? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it really is. Okay, I want to start with, you guys remember leading up to this episode, do you remember hearing about it and seeing mm-hmm. trailers yeah. and stuff for it? Mm-hmm. I, I definitely do. I remember being really excited. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is, I, I, honestly, you know, so, so this episode was done for the uh, 30th anniversary of Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, right. in 1996. And Voyager had its 30th anniversary episode. That was a flashback where they mm-hmm. had Sulu. Right. And they redid some scenes from Star Trek Six, And that was actually, they came up with that idea first. It was kind of an afterthought. Oh, let's have DS9 do a, an anniversary episode too. And even leading up to it, I have to be honest, I was more excited about flashback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, both episodes came out and why did I ever doubt that of course DS9 was going to do the cool the great, the great episode. <laughs> um, so I'll tell you the thing I remember the most the two things I remember the most from the first time I saw it and one was the first shot where you see one of DS9's characters you know in, in the shot from the original series episode and it was uh, Odo with uh, and then Chekhov and Uhura in, are in the background mm-hmm and I just remember it just put the biggest smile on my face. It was so <laughs> so clean and well done. Yeah, you know, I noticed that too. I think um, the lighting they lit it just like they oh, did yeah. back in the '60s, yeah. mm-hmm. and it was you know it was overly lit. You know, very well. They had you know Jonathan <clears throat> West uh, direct this one. You know, and he was normally their DP, so he was really able. You know, they had their director. Obviously, uh, they they had a director that really knew film stock and lighting and and things. Um, I assume KK took over for cinematography, but but at any rate, I know that they used some different film stock than usual, just to try and get it to match a little better the '60s film stock. It worked out nice. Mm-hmm. I mean. You, I mean, there are times even, you know, as what was, you said this was 96, so this is what, going on 
20 years. Um, and it's still, it's to me, the, the, the CG still holds up very well. I mean, you know, even you know, the interplay between the two, the two episodes that are basically, you know, 30 years apart, you know, 30 yeah. years apart. Yeah. I don't know how even today it would be a whole lot better doing it in that fashion. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's a did. great point right there. Yeah. I do have a question. I haven't seen the new, um, the new original Star Trek HD ones where, you know, they did all the mm-hmm. CG mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And this might be a silly question, but did they, I wouldn't mind seeing the episode from the other side with the DS nine stuff left in the original triples episode. I don't know if they did that or I'm assuming no, no, but no one's done that. Oh, like they, 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 they high definitely remastered the no. They would have a hard time doing that because it's not as one-to-one as it would appear. Like in this scene mm-hmm. where um, Cisco and Dax are in the background with Spock and um, Kirk in the foreground talking on the comm system. Right. Mm-hmm. When it cuts away and you see um, uh, Cisco and Dax in the background, you hear Kirk talking. That conversation is actually from a later point in the episode, for example. What about maybe the um, that way? I do remember the um, from the original episode the um, the whole th- the scene where Kirk is dressing down the officers for fighting. I thought I thought I remember that scene being a little bit longer in the original episode. Yeah, I think it, it is. Too. Yeah, I think it, it is. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> it would have just been fun to see. I'm not saying. I'm just curious. Well, and also we kind of talked about some, a lot of technical stuff here, but also just from the story. I mean, you know, as we've kind of established. Um, I don't know. All of us are this way. And Brian, I know you're this way. But you know, part of the love of the of the whole thing is is the is the canon and the continuity and how stories mm-hmm. intertwine. And so this is really the ultimate of that kind of thing. Is let's time travel into an episode, and it's and not just within this generation, but something from 30 years prior. You know, and and how it relates and stuff. I mean, it doesn't get any better. You know, for for can a you, fan of the whole thing. <clears throat> ha, let me see if I can word this question correctly. Is there any other is Trek show? That is so beloved that you could you could even do this. Like in the in the future, could you see the same kind of thing being done in some future Star Trek television show where they go back to Next Gen or DS9 or Voyager? I have a hard time imagining that. Is my point? Didn't they didn't they try you know. to do it in the very last episode of Enterprise? <laughs> <laughs> well, they totally reshot stuff, but they didn't actually. <laughs> right, right. Oh, but like, like another episode, you could do this with. No, I mean, I mean, you'd have to just say it within within that series. I mean, if yeah, they were, if the notion was let's go to next gen for whatever reason, they were going to do something like that. You know, it, you'd 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 have you'd have trouble finding an episode of this type because this is a, it's not just a popular episode, but it's a certain type of episode that's unusual. You know, this is a, a comic episode that's fun and everyone knows and is iconic. You know. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, um, you know, like like the you know like the most well known next gen episode, for example. I mean, we have we've mentioned some in the past on our top list and all that. But Inner Light, too serious, best of both worlds. It's an action board. You know, it, it's just different. It, yeah, it, well, it, it'd be a like, different like, kind of thing. Totally like Caesar just said, whenever they tried to do like some hidden B story from a next gen episode at the end of Enterprise, look what episode they picked: the Pegasus episode. Mm-hmm, yeah, just didn't work. Which, well, it didn't work because Enterprise, you know, because it was a bad idea. <laughs> but <laughs> that episode, yeah, you know, who cares about well, <laughs> the peace story? Right. Well, right. well, speaking of Enterprise, there's a scene in this in this episode that sets up several shows in Enterprise. The whole Klingon issue. The um, you know, oh yeah, the the forehead. Oh and, yeah, remember earlier okay. when I said there were two things that I remembered really well from <laughs> the first time I ever saw it. The other <laughs> one was. How hard I laughed out loud whenever Worf says about <laughs> why Klingons looked different back then. Yeah, when yeah. He says something like, um, we do not talk about it with outsiders and <laughs> we do not discuss it with outsiders. And I remember that was, that was so funny. And, that, and that's still my, my go-to answer for why Enterprise <laughs> – is why Enterprise is not a good show. And, and I'm – hey, I'm, I'm a Trekker. I love watching any Star Trek, and that includes a Star Trek that I don't care for like Enterprise – I shouldn't say I don't care for it because I like Star Trek. That I think I think it's not a good show, but I still like it. You know, you guys know what I mean. The people yeah, listening to the show know what I mean. Um, but this is my go-to answer. You know, on DS Nine, it was so elegant and so smart that when confronted with this issue, they just have Warp say, <laughs> "Not this guy's with outsiders." <laughs> and make me laugh out loud. What? What is Enterprise? 
what what is their reaction to that situation you know it's it no <laughs> but it's funny the the answers that are given right after war says that what is it odo says genetics somebody says um Oh, is it yes, a virus? Yes, and the, and, but right. they guessed right. Those were the two two things <laughs> that, that came up and that we found out in Enterprise. I just kind of was like, oh. Like, Three butter, yeah. Mm-hmm. And those, those were good episodes in Enterprise. I, I enjoyed it. Enterprise had its yeah, well, those moments. Um, Brent Spiner, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, you can't go wrong with Brent Spiner. They actually, <laughs> those were, were okay episodes. I just think that fundamentally that was a question that did not need to be answered. And uh, DS9 understood that. And they made a joke about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Enterprise uh, didn't. Um, it it fills me with uh, almost goosebumps. Like the, we first see the Enterprise, and and Dennis McCarthy was able to put in some of the original mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander Courage score there. The theme well, that's something yep. we don't get. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I thought that was a CG Enterprise, but it, it, I'm reading up on it. It sounds like it actually was a model. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 funny. We we do talk about so much of um the tech stuff and they got they did that incredible job. And and, and it's this is in the mid nineties, you know, in, in nineteen ninety six when you see when you saw a character digitally composite on top of old footage like that, your my first thought was Forrest Gump, which yeah. had was the first thing that really did it, and that was two years earlier. So that was ninety four. I remember seeing Forrest Gump in ninety four, mm-hmm. really being blown away by that kind of technology. So you know, the technology, they they nailed it, the design, you know, they built those corridors and it looks it's incredible the level of detail, the costumes, mm-hmm. the hair, it it everything is done with such love and care and accuracy, which is you know, something that uh, Trekkers, uh, we really appreciate the Trekkies appreciate. <laughs> um, but all that said, it's still, a, it's, it's a good episode because it's a good episode. It's a good episode because it's a good idea. Um, because it, it, because it works, the performances and the writing, everything is good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, they could have, uh, done all the tech stuff, right. And then kind of, uh, you know, blown it with having a convoluted reason for going there, you know, and it is a little camp and the, and the story surrounding it is campy with the, the guys, Denomer and Luxley and all that stuff, but that's fun. And it fits because of the, the feel of, of Trouble Tribbles, you know, Which mixed was in there. The one flat out comedy they really did. In yeah. The and so it, it all works and it's a, per, it's a plausible, you know, everything's plausible in terms of, in context of Trek. Yeah. So we, we got to think for what this is about. Mm. Um, respecting history. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I, this is the one time it is so hard to divorce, you know, you're at the edge of your seat glee just from watching it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to really try and think about story and, um, it, it, it almost doesn't work and that's, it doesn't make sense when it's a good episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You got anything, Steve? I don't know. I, I, again, just like you just said, it's so hard to uh, get too analytical about that. When I, I mean, you know, maybe a in kind of an extension of what you're saying, like what you said, Adam, respecting history. It's it's a it's it's kind of a, a federation bravado, you know, save the day kind of thing. I mean, you know, it's going back to the roots of. Um, uh, being a hero and, you know, mm-hmm. basically heroes fighting villains. I mean, you have, you have a guy that wants to blow the whole thing that we've, we love about all of this, the history and the, you know, what Kirk did and all this by killing him. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and it's for the Federation ideals. They take the steps to make sure that doesn't happen. So in that way, it's a, it's a, I don't know if that saved the day kind of, I don't know if, that, if that's anything of what it's about, you know, but that's what the, I feel, you know? The, yeah, and that's what it is here. We're talking about the way it, we feel on this one. But the respecting history thing, I think you could, you could that works, that kind of argument works because it it's works inside the episode too. Mm-hmm. Because remember, the, the DS9 people are just as are just as excited to see Kirk mm-hmm. are we, as we are to see Kirk, you know? Mm-hmm. That's why we have that scene with, with Cisco. Um at the end there, using footage not from um, Trouble Tribbles, but we have that scene at the end there with um, where he got to uh, introduce himself to Kirk and, and meet him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're just as fascinated with it as we are. <laughs> he, wouldn't let, he wouldn't let Dax meet Koloff, but, you know, he wouldn't meet Kirk. 
Yeah. Now, if we wanted to be really picky, she her line. This is the last thing we're going to say because we're going to move on. But her her line about uh, Koloth saying he always wished he could have engaged Kirk in battle is not, is unfair because they did engage in battle in the animated series. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> just a little flaw there yeah all right moving on oh so we do love this episode isn't that a medical tricorder <laughs> <laughs> oh no my favorite jo- running joke here is my god that's kirk O'Brien <laughs> <laughs> thinks that right. that actually the guy that he thinks is kirk was one kirk's of his stunt doubles, stunt right? double yeah right but it, like that's Kirk. And he, he keeps going back to uh, Bashir. Are you sure that's Kirk? <laughs> Why has he got lieutenant stripes on? Yeah. Uh, okay, moving on. Six degrees for trials and tribulations. What do you got? One to one. Uh, Steve, you went first last time. So Adam, uh, James Jansen plays Temporal Investigations agent Luxley. He previously played Farron Cog in the first season episode, The Storyteller. In this episode, O'Brien must perform as the Syrah, or excuse me, the Syrah, and tell the story to keep the evil entity away. Name the evil entity. That's a picky question, isn't it? Oh, I remember the... the. Oh, <laughs> what the hell is that thing's name? It, it didn't it look a little bit like the. It looked like a big cloud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Colors wise, it was like the crystalline entity, but it, it didn't mm-hmm. have the crystals and stuff. Mm-hmm. O'Brien is named the Surak, right? You said this. The, the Surak. Yeah. Surak. Um, God, I can't remember what his name is. Steve, I could, do you I could make called? a silly guess, but I, I'm. I think something Dal Rock comes to mind. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, right. That sounds right. Dal Rock. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if that was the entity or something else in the episode. Yeah, I knew it was similar to what O'Brien was called. I just couldn't get it out of my mouth. All right, uh, Steve, the writer of the original series episode, "The Trouble with Tribbles," makes a cameo as an Enterprise crewman in this episode. What's his name? Oh yeah, um, the writer Trouble Tribbles. Is that David Gerald? You are correct. It was David Gerald. Two for two. Uh, so the score now is an unfortunate three to one. Hey, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Let He Who Is Without Sin, Season 5, Episode 7, Production Number 505. Original air date, November 11th, 1996. Written by Robert Hewitt Wolf and Iris Stephen Bear. Directed by Rene Abergenois. Music composed by Paul Belergen. Guest cast include Monty Markham as Pascal Fullerton, Chase Masterson as Lita, Frank Kopik as Bolian Aide, Blair Valak as Rysian Woman, Zora De Horder as another Rysian Woman, and Vanessa Williams as Arandis. <laughs> Worf's relationship with Dax hits a rough spot, and he plans to discuss his feelings during their vacation on Ryza. But things go from bad to worse when Bashir, Lita, and Cork tag along on their trip. When Worf is about to open up in his own way, he and Dax are greeted by a former lover of Curzon, which causes Worf to close up, and his only outlet comes from an extremist group, the New Essentialist Movement, who look to bring back the morals of the Federation. You must be feeling pretty good right now. The weather is terrible, the guests are miserable, and more and more people are leaving Ryza every day. Their response only proves my point. I see. Ruin the vacations of a few hundred thousand people to bolster the moral fiber of the Federation. Ugh. (laughs) That's your... your, um, My analysis. Your feelings. Critical analysis in one word. Yeah. There was a there was a lot of nice things to look at in this episode, Steve. Come yeah, on, yeah, yeah, no complaints there. <laughs> the scenery was nice. Mm-hmm. The, some of the outfits were a little crazy. But... <laughs> oh man, those things were so dated. My God, this show doesn't <laughs> yeah. look that dated to me. But most most of the time, but those swimsuits that was in the nineties. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I don't Actually, even know if you could call that 90. That was Star Trek 90s. And was correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Cork was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. But it's the dialogue, I think, is what gets me in this. You know, there's so many times I just feel like it's just lumbering along or it's convoluted, like some of the stuff Worf said and thing. I don't know. Just... Yeah, so what gets me is it seems like uh, 
maybe people's actions were inconsistent with with their characters. You know, mm-hmm. like what Quark or not Quark? Um, uh, Worf seems like he goes too far, even for him. Aren't there like half a million people vacationing on Ryzen? Yeah. He's just going <laughs> to pull the plug on the atmospheric control device and and even after he does like Bashir comes up to him he's on his vacation with all these people you know half a million people or 400,000 whatever it was and all he, he says with all due respect I can't believe you what what are you what were you thinking well I just blah 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 oh okay well all right I'm just going to go play some hoverball i don't know what but he wasn't even that upset you know i just yeah wouldn't it be wouldn't it be like knocking out the air conditioning in a cruise ship wouldn't it like be be held somewhere it's like they'd be take they take you away they put you in the brig or whatever that is well i think they set that whole thing up the risons won't um press charges they set that up earlier in the episode so i mean i can i think what they were trying to do is set up you know how love kind of makes you crazy and warp is no exception i don't i think they could have gone a better way about doing it yeah. But I think that's what they were trying to, to show, that yeah. Worf's crazy with love. <laughs> Everybody involved in this episode hates it. Everson Wan <laughs> directed it. He thinks it's terrible. And um, the writers all think it's the worst episode they wrote. I know I've seen uh, – Ira Bear, for example, has talked about he wanted to do an episode that where they really discussed sex, frankly, and then – he almost makes it sound like at the last minute they realized they couldn't do that. Well, of course he couldn't. <laughs> Star Trek, what? You know, but I, I, I guess I don't understand exactly what it was. Maybe they were so far from what they wanted to make that I can't, I can't tell by watching it what they were even going for. Yeah, yeah. But it has moments that I actually I enjoy enough that they're funny. I guess maybe I'm I'm in the minority here, but I do not hate this episode. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't. I don't. The the scenes with Lita and Bashir are, are pretty good. Yeah, I would. I would watch this episode way before I'd watch the assignment, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, the, my favorite. I love. I actually really like the scene near the end um, between uh, Worf and Dax. Worf tells that story about when he was a child and he, you know, accidentally killed this other human, and it and it totally changed the way he mm-hmm. acted around humans for the rest of his life. You know. Yeah, it explained a lot about him. Well, you know, kind of what I was saying earlier about the dialogue being weird, it's kind of, I don't know how to phrase this, but it's kind of like, I like the story and I like it there. I like it, but it's somehow, it's like someone just dropped it in. And that's kind of what makes me feel weird about the episode. It's kind of like, I do all this crazy stuff. Here's why you you wait. You're almost like waiting to hear the violins, you know, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's just kind of like, let's drop this sympathetic story and see, understand. So if the rest of the episode had been a little different around that story, or if that story was in a different episode, you would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like so much, I like that scene not so much not so much for his story, but I, I like how I like how you know Worf and Dax seem like they have a legitimate mm-hmm. kind of relationship yeah. problem that they're working through the whole episode, you know, and like and it seems like honest dialogue that they and they kind of work through it and they stay together and this is in light of of um, Bashir and Lita not working through their problem and deciding to break up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something... Well, then, yeah, there's um, a parallel of it. Well, it, I, there's something kind of honest about uh, Worf and Dex's relationship, and and it's organic, and, and I, I like that scene. I like that they work things out in a natural kind of... in a real human kind of way. I, I, w- I would have liked better. I think they didn't need to have the new essentialist <clears throat> stuff in here. I think they could have just done away yeah. with that storyline in this episode. I don't think I, it was needed. That's the exact same thing down, actually. They could have had, had more more scenes with Worf and Dax about about their relationship and I think that would have would have sufficed it better. The the essentialist stuff was it just seemed I don't know out of place to me. Yeah. You know, I I think that's I I I think that's where I'm coming get from well, Steve it's about, like like say looking for Parmok in, in all the wrong places. Yeah, it does have a little bit of um maybe that's a little bit more of a comedy than a romance and it does still have kind of a battle near the end albeit a small silly one but there are just times whenever like they could have i I think if they tried to do this episode and and just made it this relationship drama thing i don't know they they obviously don't have the writers did not have confidence in their abilities to do romance especially after this show after this Mm -hmm. episode but i think if they embraced it a little more and not felt like they had to had to always go back to that Star Trek episodic crutch of having 
bigger stakes. Okay, the essentialists are trying to change way of life on Ryza, and they take over the atmospheric control thing and starts earthquakes. And that's not what this episode started off being about. Come on, mm-hmm. yeah. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, I'll disagree with a little bit. I mean, in going forward, we see a lot of good episodes about Dax's and Dax and Worf's relationship. But I think in a whole, that I think that was one of the little failures about DS Nine. I never liked. We've talked about that. I never liked Cisco's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, the, the last season with Bashir's relationship, I won't go into that. I didn't really like that, but the Wharf Dax relationship, I thought they really, they really hit on this, this episode. It's the, it's the, has its weaknesses of all Star yeah. Trek series. Yeah, for sure. You know, Troy and Riker, they never could get it together. Um, you know, it's just, th- this was the best, you know, relationship you, you see i think in all of star trek if you count books okay maybe troy and rocker win but <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so it seems like most people in the world hate this episode everybody involved in this production hates this episode but i, I, I don't I, hate it i don't hate it I, there's a lot of funny moments in it i mean it's like i was saying earlier it's got nice scenery it's 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 not I did. It, it's actually not even the worst episode I saw in this four pack here that we're discussing. Yeah. Speaking of the nice scenery, I remember how surprised I was that they got Vanessa Williams to be in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's just it's just that like I've like I've said I think that's another example of just it's everything just pieced together. It's like um, stunt casting with her and um, romance story, and then the strange rebel group, and then story. It's all just kind of blah, 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 blah. they just drop it all in this thing, and there it goes. And I, that's what I kind of felt. Was yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Well, they, the one thing that the essentialist storyline gave me was um, a, a little bit more of a through line for what it was about. You know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so I, I like this idea of asking if you know Riza is kind of an illusion. Um, and I think that's where they forced what they tried to force it to be about. Um, but I think I would have preferred if it, you know, had been about, uh, you know, if they'd focused more on that parallel of, of Worf and Dax, you know, what it takes to stay together in a relationship mm-hmm. and, and what it takes for that, for the relationship to fail. I think that would have been, um, uh, uh, um, um, it would have been, would have been better. Yeah. For it to be about yeah. than, like, like we said, I, I I don't the the new essentialist movement idea doesn't bother me. It just it doesn't fit in this episode. I think um you guys, this, what do you guys have for what it's about then? Anything other than that that sort of thing? Well, I think it's interesting what you said. I think it's interesting to say that what they try to make it about and what you want it to be about. And I think that kind of explains why maybe this isn't the best episode when it still has, you could still say what it's about. Because I think that it ends up being about, because they force it down your throat, the notion of, um, you know, you know what's real and true and are we are we really being human when we have all these luxuries and crutches and we don't have to work for whatever blah 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 and what you want it to be about is if they were to just focus on that that the relationships and what it takes to what it takes to make a relationship work and not just give up um and or and is it worth it and et cetera et cetera you know mm-hmm. <sighs> Right. I don't think you could say it any better than what Steve just put out. No. The one line in this episode that made me laugh. Tell the Ferengi to return to his quarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell the Ferengi to return to his quarters. <laughs> okay, moving on. Six degrees, four. Let he who is without sin. I assume that title is a reference to... You know, cast the first stone, but I didn't actually find that anywhere. Yeah, I, don't, um, I didn't. I didn't get the title, what it, how it fit the episode either. But moving on. Oh well, no. Um, if if we talk about the um, essentialist storyline and and you know Worf and I could see that. Uh, you know, because the essentialists are, are arguing against um, this way of life. Like they're all perfect when obviously they're not either. Anyway, uh, so what do we got here? Three, Steve, and three to one. One for the other guy. (laughs) (laughs) I I was trying not to put one next to your actual name. Thought it might. It's better than zero. That is true. So let's see if you can get another one. Uh, You can go first this time. All right. Again, having a hard time with um, six degrees here. So. Uh, what DS9 writer slash producer 
wrote the next-gen episode, Captain's Holiday, where Ryza first appeared. Also involved in this episode, today's episode. Hmm. Uh, this is my sit- question, right? Or is it not? No, Adam. Oh, yeah. Adam, sorry. Great. <laughs> it's, it's <true. laughs> Adam wants to pass. Adam wants Steve to take it, so he thinks he doesn't know it. <laughs> Steve, it's soon to be your question because I have no idea what the answer to that is. I'm going to be guessing, guess, that's then. for sure. You can take a guess. I, I, I have no idea. Just pick a DS9 writer, no? No. Um, okay. I have no idea. Okay. Uh, Steve? Um, Robert Hewitt Wolf? No, it was Ira Bear. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right, Steve, uh, still 3-1. Uh, what is better than finding Lita with the Horgon? <laughs> um, me with a Horgon and Lita approaches. No, um, it, it, it was kind of a trick question. It's finding Lita with two Horgons. Oh, very good. I was going to say nothing. Oh, <laughs> That I would have accepted, actually. Yeah, that's how Quark opens the episode. Remember, he has two. Okay. Uh, okay, moving on. Things Pass, Season 5, Episode 8, Production Number 506. Original air date, November 18th, 1996. Written by Michael Taylor, directed by LeVar Burton, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Marco Lemo as Ducat, Victor Bavine as Bellar, Brennan Baird as Soldier, Luan Lowe as Ocala, Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, and Kurtwood Smith as Thrax. Cisco, Odo, Dax, and Garrick are found unconscious in their runabout. While Bashir attempts to revive their bodies in the present, Cisco and the others wake up on Terak Nor, the station's previous name during the Cardassian occupation of Bajor. They look normal to each other, but everyone else sees them as Bajorans. Odo, who was once Terak Nor's chief of security, seems particularly agitated and anxious. They spot Odo's pre- predecessor, Thorax, which indicates they have gone back in time at least nine years. I was chief of security on the promenade. I was the one who charged those men with a crime they didn't commit. And I was the one who turned them over to Dukat. You know, this episode, uh, obviously, of course, it isn't as good as Necessary Evil. But the part of me that, I love Garrick, that loves Garrick, (laughs) um... And just likes going back to Terek Noor. That part of me enjoys this episode. And I kind of like that they don't, uh, you know, that it's, that it's not really a flashback and it's not time travel. I, like, I kind of like the structure of how they get there. It's, yeah, it's a bit of a stretch like a yeah. lot of Star Trek, but it's a real stretch to <laughs> whatever the hell's going on in Odo's brain, whatever. Um, but, you know, it, it works. I, you know, I like that they skip over some of that stuff. They skip the whatever the ion storm or whatever the heck it was. They just go right into it. I, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I, I again, I probably like this episode a little more than the average person, even though it's probably a fairly average episode, um, just because I like Garrick. Actually, I love him. And because I like the chance to go back to Turok Nor, which we're not going to get to do very much. What do you guys think well, of this one? Well, Garrick does have some of the best lines in this this show. I, I still yeah. the, the, the spoonheads. <laughs> oh, his line whenever he's reading about himself on the little on the pad, his bio he says, "I must be incorrigible." <laughs> that makes me laugh every time. Um, I, I would disagree with you a little bit, Brian. The uh, the whole in Odo's I don't know it was too much of a stretch for me. It kind of just threw me out of the episode. I think they could have gone out, gone maybe gone a different way about doing it. Maybe done a flashback or something i don't know it just seemed like we've seen this before where they're all put in like some sort of um incubator and they're on a holodeck i don't know i've seen this time i don't know it's just going back to the well a little too much for me and i i like the idea the concept of odo and his infallibility and him you know dealing with this mistake that he made many years back but it's just i don't know the, the whole thing kind of takes me out of the story it's a little well, too, too much of a stretch for me yeah and i think i think you know one might argue that you know odo's kind of overplaying everything why isn't everyone figuring out what's going on if he's so emotional and distraught and yet they're just going through the episode like this but i think at the same time i think it's a it's kind of the mechanics or that's a problem in the mechanics of the story i mean if you've got it going through his brain and he's if he'd have not played it overly emoted and and broadcast his 
you know, obviously how distraught he was. Then uh, who, you know, is he just playing everybody? Is he just, you know, what's the story? So I, I think that's that's kind of the problem. That's what holds the episode back for me more than anything. He he is overplaying it from the very first moments. He's so upset and scared and visually mm-hmm. visibly scared that I feel smarter than Cisco and Garrick that they're not figuring <laughs> yeah. it out whenever I can figure it out. You know, and that that when you're ahead of the episode and it's purely because of his performance to me, that that holds it back more than anything. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I definitely think uh Kurtwood Smith did a great job as Thrax kind of being Odo, you know, once we, of course we're watching it knowing that it's Odo really, you know, but he, yeah. he kind of played Odo. I think that was really cool. I, I, I do like a little bit how <clears throat> Odo gets to that point, it gets to the point where he says there's more to life than the rule of law. That says something for Odo to say that line, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, mostly that last scene between him and Kira, you know, now I'm another imperfect solid, um, and admitting to Kira that he hopes no one else died on his watch, on, you know, innocent, nobody other innocents died on his watch, but he can't say for sure. Um, you know, if nothing else, this episode, you know, it, it gives Odo that he, he is infallible and it gives him, or he, he excuse me, he is not infallible. He, it gives him that. Um, he's human. He's I guess human. His was the most human. <laughs> uh, you know, he's he, he's he's imperfect, just like he says, and, and yeah, it makes him uh, human for the for the, one of the first times. I do. I mean, I'm touching on that scene there. I do think it it strengthens. It'll strengthen um, Kira and Odo's relationship moving forward. I mean, we we saw this similar scene back in the episode you were talking about, but it, you know, the roles were reversed, where Kira lied to Odo, and now you know you know it's full circle now we see Odo is having to deal with the things that he's he is tried to hide from other people so I think they understand each other I don't think they're you know things aren't resolved with them at the end of the scene but I think they kind of understand each other a little bit more after we we see that scene at the end of this episode mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and yeah that that is a very good like parallel with this with the scene in, in Necessary Evil um, another thing I didn't see in anybody's commentary or analysis of this episode but it's it's the first thing i thought of was you know learning that he he hid this from her in the same way that she hid stuff from him uh in their the first time they met from the necessary evil days Mm -hmm. um it was interesting seeing ducat and dax together um just because i don't think we've really seen that before but it just you know uh, ducat has uh, the one line I wrote down here when he's toasting in return, he says, to the beginning of your education, which just seemed like the creepiest, most evil line imaginable to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, every time, yeah. Every time we see Ducat, it just the kind of the ratchets up how despicable he can be. Like. <laughs> um, we'll we'll kind of, we'll get to see a full episode of this coming up. There's the episode with, with um, Kira's mother where we see oh, yes. a lot is of that our last, is it Is that our last visit to Terok? No, I believe so. I think yeah. so. Um, so uh, we kind of touched on what what, what it's about, um, you know, mistakes, infallibility, the lack of infallibility, how you deal with these mistakes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what happens when you kind of bottle them up. I think it's an interesting question about whether Odo is an improved person for kind of kind of trying to deal with this because the fact mm-hmm. is that he did not choose to deal with this mm-hmm. you know he didn't want he didn't want this to happen he hadn't planned to tackle this subject in his past um but he's a different person now i mean you know then he was he was a shapeshifter now he's a solid so it's that um that duality he was that i mean if you think about it he really was a different person when he first repressed this you know this mistake that he made and now um now that he's basically human, those things are coming out. And yeah, I do think it makes him a better, I guess, a better person or better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, better person. That's way to put it. Your thoughts, Steve, uh, <clears throat> on what it's about? No, I, I agree basically what you said that, yeah, it's a, you, it's uh, taking the stuff from your past, things that you've stored away and, and confronting them and dealing with that. And, and uh, you know, that, that, that makes you stronger, makes you better going forward. 
Okay. Moving on. Six degrees, four things passed. What's our score? Three, one? Three, one. Three to one. Okay. Uh, Steve. Yes. Kerwood Smith plays the Cardassian security officer Thrax, who is convinced of our hero's guilt. He was previously the Ephrosian president of the Federation in which Star Trek feature? Oh, yes, that's right. Um, I looked it up. They do not give his name. They just say the Federation. Ah, <laughs> uh, just the president. Uh, yeah, I believe that's in six. That you are correct. It was Star Trek six. I, I don't remember if I've told this story before. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, my wife and I had dinner. We, we actually frequently go to the Sherman Oaks Galleria here in Los Angeles, and we had dinner at, um, at the El Torito Grill a few months ago. And uh, Kerwood Smith was sitting a couple tables over from us, huh. and I, I told my wife, that's the president from Star Trek VI. <laughs> uh, and then I texted my buddy Trey with a couple of his lines from Robocop. <laughs> anyway... Um, <laughs> Did he say, can you fly, Bobby? <laughs> See, I could have said that one on this podcast, but I cannot say what I actually wrote. Uh, so, Adam. Yes. Uh, Kerwood Smith also played Anorax, the Krenim temporal scientist and ship captain in what Voyager two-parter? Oh, Voyager. You and silly Voyager. if you know Voyager. the correct answer of this one and you say it four times, you can still beat Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um. Ah, uh, is it? Yeah. Year of Hell, right? Is that what it you is? You are correct. And what was part two called? <laughs> Year of Hell. <laughs> part two, that is correct. Was there a part three? Come on, you know, no, keep going. No. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, okay, so um, thanks everyone for your patience. This episode was a couple days late. Um, the next one will be on time. Uh, you can follow us on our page on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Follow us on Twitter uh, at Trek Companion. Um, what else? Oh, leave us a review on iTunes. We would really love that. Please do. Uh, you know, click the five stars or if you really love us and have a minute, click five stars, type of, you know, uh, we love these guys. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Because uh, that gets more listeners and that's what we'd love to have is uh, more listeners. So uh, our next podcast, we're going we're gonna to try and alternate every other podcast with the listener guest host so hopefully our next podcast we will uh, have another listener guest on so until next time take it easy take care guys